Hello there. Welcome to Space Bras, the podcast for bad bitch sci-fi nerds. I'm Mary Johnston, and with me is the delectable Tofuta Cutie, Kate Whitney. What's up, girl? Hey, girl. You know, I gotta, I gotta go ahead and throw out a little warning here. Um, I have gone on a voyage recently to an alien world. And that alien world is somewhere in Atlanta, and I am recovering seriously <laughs> from some pollen. So if throughout this podcast I hop off for a second to, like, blow my nose or, you know, um, be disgusting over here, having taken all the medicine I possibly can, please don't notice my absence and know that I am so happy to get to still record with you. And, uh, dear listeners, please just cut me a little slack. I'm, you know, recuperating. There's some vicious mutant pollen that is attacking my insides, so... <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe it's becoming a part of your insides, which leads it's, us del- maybe it's- delightfully <laughs> into what we're talking about this week. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes, Mary. Why don't you tell the masses, our, our, our wonderful wide audience, what it is we are discussing. Our, our, our audience who are, are just like the best looking people that I've ever <laughs> laid my podcast voice on. I don't know. I've seen some of you. You're all gorgeous. Uh we are mm-hmm. talking about the movie Annihilation. Ooh, da, da, da. Annihilation uh, is a movie that came out in uh, 2018, February, and it is directed by Alex Garland, uh, who also wrote the screenplay based off of the book Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. The cast uh, boasts of Nellie Portman and Gina Rodriguez and Tessa Thompson and Oscar Isaacs and Benedict Wong and Jennifer Jason Leigh. First, oh, first off, sure. can can we say what we thought this movie was going to be about? Oh yes, you you please you start. Okay, because Mary, you watched it for the first time uh, recently, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. a couple days ago. Yeah, a couple days ago. Yes. So I know about Garland's work from Ex Machina, which is a movie I really like. So I kind of had an idea of the kind of movie he makes, which also sort of colored what I thought this movie was going to be like. And um, basically I thought, based on the trailer, which show a lot of um, people kind of seemingly wandering around a jungle wearing um, army fatigues and facing mutant things and talking about uh, evolution... Um, interspliced with scenes of uh, a man in a hospital room. I thought this was going to be Apocalypse Now, but the heart of darkness is a cancer-like plague, and Colonel Kurtz is the single white female Jennifer Jason Lee. And I was kind <laughs> of right. I was kind of right. Yes. Yes, indeed. I, um, I had... I still have never seen Ex Machina, and at this point, I'm keeping myself fresh face for when we cover it on this podcast. Woo! But I, um, so there's this sound that we'll talk about later that was in the trailer. They call it like, the annihilation sound. It's like this, but like you know, very synthy and like otherworldly and weird. And it was that noise and Nellie Portman and Gina Rodriguez and everyone in like the woods. And I was just like, oh man, if Alien Adventure Time. Bunch of bad bitches surviving the future, which is not exactly what it is at all. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that that was the whole. I was imagining something a lot more powery and, and badass. But uh, but with that said, now that we've said what we thought it was, I'm going to share with you what an IMDb review uh, overview says that we can. Uh, then so without further ado, according to IMDb, 
It's already been 12 months since his last covert operation, and the rugged military cane <laughs> is still missing in action, presumed dead, with his wife, the successful academic. And I added in here oncologist Johns Hopkins doctor because they said she was just a biologist. That's not true at all. Lena still grieving him. An unprecedented phenomenon in the swamplands of Florida will soon have her following in Kane's footsteps as a member of a strong all woman team. So many theories try to explain the mysterious ever expanding iridescent membrane, which swallows the area. However, none was able to yield facts. What kind of startling biological transmutation lurks behind this bright and colorful kaleidoscope of horror? In the end, what did Kane see? And what's wrong with that is, guys, it's not really about Kane's story at all. Like, I mean, I know that that's like what kind of like launches us. Like, that's the very beginning. But it's about like what she sees. Like, I don't, we don't spend a lot of time like worrying about what Kane sees. Kane is almost a red herring. Like, he's he's like a MacGuffin. Yeah. This reviewer also, by the way, has a boner for Oscar Isaacson, which I totally get. He's really hot. But I like the rugged military Kane instead of like, you know, rugged soldier. (laughs) Anyway, whatever. Kane spends so much of this movie just looking like he's like desperately <laughs> needs to take a shit like he's not attractive i agree that oscar isaac is an attractive man very attractive he's and charismatic man but not in this movie not in yeah. this movie at all he's not attractive so basically there's this military couple one of which has gone on to become a doctor and the other one's still in the military and uh <clears throat> kane uh the husband of the duo goes all the way on a trip and uh no one knows where he is well, he's like on a mission he's for deployed 12 months. right like he- he's on a mission he reappears he's clearly really sick then some like government you know you know black hats come in and like take them to a secret facility and she finds out that he was involved in uh an ex an expedition into an unknown area that's being terraformed by a new alien species, or maybe, who knows? They don't know. They think it might be even religious. Bottom line is, that's what it's about. It's about her journey in there to find answers and maybe save him, but whatever. That's what she says. He's, that's that's, like that's what she goal. says. Yeah. So, so yeah. I read the book because the ending uh, is full of uh, ambiguity that makes me compelled to interrogate whether or not my issue was with the source material or the adaptation. Uh, to that end, we're going to talk about uh, the role of of adaptation that this film uh, plays at the very end of the podcast. So basically, that knowledge I'm just throwing right out the window, and I'm going to do my best not to highlight the five times that there's overlap between the book and the movie because they're very different things. Um, <laughs> the mere but- five times. <laughs> the mere five times. I'm not kidding. <laughs> we'll be tackling the central theme. Uh, and using that to guide our discussion of the plot. So this movie is incredibly hard to parse, um, which is surprising because the movie opens with Natalie Portman's character, Lena, she is the main character of this movie, um, getting interrogated by um, Benedict Wong as Lomax. He is interrogating her and she is just kind of like sitting in a chair, like apparently fine. She looks fine. But he is wearing, like, a hazmat suit. And he's asking her all these questions about what happened when she was in the Shimmer. He's asking her about uh, how they survived with only two weeks worth of rations in there for four months. Right. And he's also asking her where the rest of her crew is. So we know right from the jump that she is the only survivor, that everybody else in her crew died, and that she doesn't seem to know very much about what happened while she was there. 
Those are the things we know, yeah. kind of from the jump. And it, it gets more complicated. And of course, as we continue on the, the kind of the main, I would say, trajectory of the movie, which we, for the sake of conversation, are going to call present tense, are her and her crew navigating the shimmer and finding answers to the questions that they are seeking. Then we flash forward, and those are the scenes with um, Lomax where she's being interrogated. And then we flash backward, and that was her life before she came to Area X and entered the Shimmer. So real quick, the Shimmer is um, the membrane uh, referenced in the the overview. It's it's this iridescent kind of like a dome that is over a span of, of several miles. And when they cross over into that, that's the term that they use. Um, yeah. It's also called Area X. Right. So you may be wondering, it seems like there are sort of like this this very comprehensive sandwiched timeline where I'm seeing what's happening, kind of the, the main action. And then I have like commentators in the future telling me what I'm supposed to be seeing and then also informing and giving me contacts with flashes in the back. How could this movie be hard to parse? It is because there are a million different kind of things that are suggested that just don't go anywhere. So when we decided we wanted to talk about this, one of the things we challenged each other to do was sort of come up with a central theme that would Mm -hmm. allow us to discuss the action in this movie. Because if you end up chasing down all the little rabbit holes they give you, you know, this could take years. (laughs) It's so much. Yeah. It's so much. Absolutely. So the central theme that we kept coming back to is uh, self-destruction and came back to it because when you watch this movie if you have not already uh it's kind of heavy-handedly talked about a bunch um but they do they do some good work seating uh that is a theme um and this lena is uh a cellular biologist she's a doctor at johns hopkins um and she's an oncologist so her focus is uh cancer so one of the first scenes we see in this prologue of the film, uh, she's talking about cells. She's giving this lecture and she's talking about how 4 million years ago, there was one cell and everything that's come since then um, is from that original strain. And that uh, what we're actually seeing though on the screen, which she's actually showing her class, are these mutations, these cancer cells, and that they're following the same logic of uh, mutation and replicating, but that they're trying to kill us. Their body's literally trying to bring about our own destruction, which um, is when we're first introduced to this theme of self-destruction as a natural uh, cause. Right. When we come to Area X, there's a lot of dialogue that happens, kind of telling us that self-destruction is going to be important. And most of them happen between Lena and... um, Jennifer uh, Jason Lee's character, uh, Dr. Ventras, and she is a psychologist and um, apparently has been sort of overseeing the edge of the shimmer for quite a while and uh, has seen the troops go in. And she knows that Lena's husband, you know, went in, came and came back and now is in critical condition. So she has a conversation early on with Lena um, it goes a little something like this. So Lena says, why did my husband volunteer for a suicide mission? And Ventras says, um, I think you're confusing suicide with self-destruction. Almost none of us commit suicide and almost all of us self-destruct in some way, in some part of our lives. We drink or we smoke. We destabilize the good job and a happy marriage. But those aren't decisions. They're 
They're impulses. In fact, you're probably better equipped to explain this than I am. Lena says, what do you mean? And Tross again, you're the biologist. Isn't self-destruction coded into us? Programmed into each cell? Bum, bum, bum. So it's yeah. sort of, we sort of have this, we sort of have this, um, this setup that all of these people who are like little ticking time bombs of self-destruction are going to go into this weird area and um, and come face to face with whatever whatever their self-destructive seeking selves are trying to remedy or fight or face down or, or whatever. Um, and that's set up from the very yeah, beginning. Yeah, it's not as, I would say it's less successful at actually meeting that uh, goal about, um, because I don't know, this, for all the things that this movie sets up, there are so many times where I feel like it fumbles the actual delivery. Yes, um, I would agree with that. But uh, but we'll get to that, and that's a that's a great quote to to bring us into this discussion. So so great. So the movie starts. We see her as the doctor. We see uh, Lena's coping with the fact that her husband's been gone. Uh, she has a, a a dude she works with, a man in a suit, approach her and try and convince her to go to a barbecue. And she's like, "No, I'm going to go paint our room." And then she says, "The room corrects herself because her husband's gone." for a year and she um is clearly feeling on edge about it and she goes home and uh cries only remembering the good things and we get this great uh musical score that's the lighting's all very like golden and like midsummer afternoon and uh the music is is folk and it's very uh you know full of like resonance and very analog sounding and very human uh which is Really cool, and will come in tension later with uh, some of the more electronic monstrousness that we hear in the in the score when we change uh, context. And she's painting the room when suddenly we see a very like creepy looking man come in and just walk up the stairs and see her, and it's her husband, and he looks like he doesn't know who she is as she like embraces him happily. Um, and they sit down at a table together and there's this amazing scene that we we flash back to so many times where he has a glass of water in front of him and then she comes and sits across this table from him. He's not answering her questions, can't say why he's there, can't say anything. The first thing he remembers is being in, in that room, our bedroom, or like the room with the bed. Like he's not even sure it's a bedroom, but he recognized her face. And that was when like he came into like memory and sentience. Like he's born that moment seeing her almost which leads to a can a can can line of a million different uh oscar isaacs all doing all kicking and singing then i saw her face <laughs> now i'm a believer um, yeah exactly <laughs> so now kane's dying um multiple organ failure yes i don't and they kind of set it up they set it up that so Lena says I'm gonna you know I want to go into the shimmer with your next group to see if I can find a way to like heal my husband to Jennifer Jason Lee and Jennifer Jason Lee is like sure <laughs> basically <laughs> it's basically like it's basically like yeah that makes sense sure and yeah intercut with this we get scenes of um, Lena and Kane. Back, you know, flashing, Being the most in love. Flashing back, and we're supposed to... I think we're supposed to believe that they're the most in love. I think we are definitively supposed to believe at this point that they were the most in love. <sighs> okay. Because yeah. we have an unreliable narrator. We have an unreliable like, narrator. You're right. And, I, and mm -hmm. I guess it just depends. Basically, they have this scene where they're laying in bed, and um, 
and they're talking about the fact that the moon is visible in the daytime. Like, it's one of those days where you can see the moon, basically. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, they're saying, and I think Lena actually says this. She says, I was just looking at the moon. It's always so weird to see it in the daylight. Like, God made a mistake, left the hall lights on. And Kane says, mm-hmm. God doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> That's somewhat key to the whole being God thing. And Lena yeah. says... You take a cell, circumvent the, and I am not going to say any of this stuff right, by the way. This is Mary, not Lena. Now it's Lena again. (laughs) You take a cell, circumvent the Hayflick limit. You can prevent essence. And then Kane said, I was about to make the exact same point. And Lena says, it means the cell doesn't grow old because it's immortal. Keeps dividing, doesn't die. They say aging is a natural process, but it's actually a fault in our genes. And Kane says, it really turns me on when you patronize me. It's really hot. So. <laughs> I, I like that Kane has a Batman voice, by the way. Uh, courtesy of MJ. Uh, my dear Mary Johnston. Well, I didn't yeah. I didn't think it's a much easier voice for me to do than to do a, a straining to pass a turd voice, which is what Kane looks like in this whole movie. <laughs> Even when he's oh. hooked up to a ventilator. They then, in that same scene, have, like, they go on and they're talking about how uh, he's t- he kind of, he, like, obliquely mentions that he's going to be leaving soon on another mission. He, then he says something about how, you know, you look up at the stars and we're all under one big celestial blanket, blah, 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 blah. And she starts making fun of him. And she's like, you think that's what I do? I sit out there pining over my brave soldier and look up at the moon and think, ah, Kane's looking up at that same moon. And then they, like, laugh, and then they have sex. Um, Mm -hmm. But all of it, so I I agree with you that we're supposed to think they're in love at this point, but all of it feels real bad. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. No, like, that's, (laughs) like, me teasing you that I don't really miss you when you're gone is not, like, the sign of, like, a strong bond to me, personally. Well, Um, and also just the, it it specifies, like, there's so much in that scene. Like, first of all, we know that Lena probably doesn't believe in God and Kane probably does, which is not, you know, plenty of couples do that and that's fine. Um, Not everybody needs to be married to someone who's almost exactly like them, like I do. Um... (laughs) I'm a narcissist. Mary got really lucky. Uh, she's got a lovely husband who is a yes. podcast, and you can listen to his own original content on Categorical Oracle. Anyway. Yeah. So, like, so there's, like, already, like, some things where you're like, ooh, these people just don't, like, jive on normal stuff. And then, like, the whole thing where she's, like, explaining about cells, like, I think she's actually kind of explaining it pretty nicely. And yeah, he's like, he's like being really patronizing to me. Like, no, absolutely. Lame. There's nothing patronizing it's about not that really at all. really patronizing. It's a little bit oh. like, eh, it's like a little nerdy, I would say. Like, it's like, mm, totally. just the way that cells never age. Like, that's not a <laughs> simile that most people would, like, kind of add in there when you're having sort of a loopy conversation about the moon. But. <laughs> sure. But, like. But I would probably be into someone who would want to do that because I like learning and I think that, you know. Sure, yeah. yeah, Knowledge is sexy, guys. All right. Anyway. Uh, Talk cellular to me. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Right. And then it like so clearly makes it evident that what they think is romantic and meaningful to them Mm -hmm. as a couple are very different. Like, he is going to look up at the moon and think that Lena's looking up at that same moon and that is going to give him comfort, and she is not going to do that. That's yeah. not, that's something that she finds laughable and, like, yeah. 
and 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 saccharine, and that's not what she thinks is romantic. So you kind of have the feeling you're like, ew, I don't know. I got I got the ick from the yeah, novel, no. from the jump in the source material. Would I you say the book? I, I. <laughs> I would. I would say- <laughs> I would say that, and excuse me, in the book that I read for this podcast, actually they talk about how they weren't a good pair, that they thought that their opposites would like make them like great, but that she is very much someone focused in on her work and he is gregarious and that they thought that these things balanced each other, made them, so, them stronger, but eventually it's what ate away at their marriage. Um, I think it's good that we're getting hints of it, but I think that because uh, in the very beginning when she's crying, like all we're seeing are the good things, which is very natural. It's what you do when you're in a, a place of trauma or loss. You only remember what makes this loss sad not all of the shitty things that happen and everybody is like a hero and the most wonderful person you've ever met when they die <laughs> so then we're back to uh to ventress and um lena and and lena's asking ventress like why she particularly is going on this and the reality is she's been the one recruiting these missions no one ever comes back and she needs to know what it is that they are seeing so Right then, it seems clear that she doesn't even think that she's going on a mission that's going to come back. It's just very important to her for her own existence to know why no one else is making it back, why these missions are failing. They're sitting out on this porch looking at a ginormous moon. Um, but the, there's so many moons. It's it's a full, enormous moon the entire time that this is happening. Um, yeah. Always just hanging overhead whenever it's nighttime. Um, we, we meet yeah. them. So the people who are going with them on this adventure are the gregarious and queer Anya, who's a paramedic. Played by uh, Gina Rodriguez. She's probably actually the only character that I really liked. Um, yeah. Because she's like the most human. She's, yeah, and very, yeah, relatable in, in all of her flaws and, and probably and her impulses. And probably, probably given... the one who cares the most about anyone and she's given she's given the best she probably has the best script and also is the actress most equipped to do something with it like she's really good in this it was one of her uh first live action movie role and then i think jennifer jason lee um i love her in this role she's the other person that i think like just like she like swallows the scenery whole like she's very very good um so she's going as we mentioned before she's a psychologist um josie raddick is played by Tessa Thompson, and she's a physicist. Mm-hmm. And Cassie, quote unquote, Cass Shepard is a geologist, and she's played by Tuvia U, Russian. Yeah, who I had <laughs> did not recognize having seen before, but I did enjoy her. I literally, in my notes, wrote her down as unknown actress because. Yeah, that's who I am. Let's get into the Shimmer. 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 So we we enter the Shimmer, which is like no big thing. They just like cruise right on in. It's just like walking through air. Like it's Yeah, they just walk through air, but then they don't remember anything like they don't remember like the past Right. So we see couple days. So we see them walk through and then then like (laughs) then there's my main issue with this is I think it's kind of a gorgeous movie. But then, it's like, the, the dialogue between these women is just, like, tooth stuff. So they have this thing where they're, like, you see them. It's almost like a split cut. I don't really know what it is. But, like, you see them. You see their backs. And then you see their fronts. And then and they're, like, setting up camp. And you're, like, oh, this is normal. Like, hmm. And then one of them is, like, based on the rations, we've been here for, for 48 hours. And they don't remember anything. And it's, like, it's just it's just so weird. It's just so weird. Um... 
Reddick is, uh, as I mentioned, a physicist, and she has all of these, like, little gizmos and stuff to, like, you know, track where they are and, you know, like, it's all, it's, like, mostly, like, navigating like items and she's like fiddling with all of this on the ground and she's like none of it works everything's scrambled none of this makes any sense and Ventress says honestly were we really expecting the equipment to work were we after 13 years of expeditions and 13 years of radio silence and I kind of loved that because I yeah. feel like I feel like that happens a lot in movies like this where they're like, "Oh my God, we've we've tried to go into this space where people have died, totally, and now we totally. can't, and now we're in a situation where we might die." And like they're just being like, "Yeah, that's yeah, yep." I love that piece of dialogue, and I think that it um, is pointing to the fact that any orienting force that might allow the outside world to help these women or allow them to to reach out in a meaningful way or cut so that follows the the central theme because we find out that all of these people are damaged in some way so via flashback basically as soon as lena enters the shimmer you realize that when she says to Kane, um, you think that's what i do while you're gone what she's actually doing while she's gone is her co-worker she's having an affair while yeah. her husband is away. And so that's like her like secret damage. And then um, Ventress is dying of cancer. We find that out like a little bit later. All the rest of them are laid out with Cass. Cass notices that Anya never like drinks and then extrapolates that she must be a recovering addict of some sort. Um, and that she seems to know that Josie is a cutter because she doesn't wear short sleeves. So she has like her arms are full of scars. Um, and Cass admits that she herself lost a daughter to leukemia and just has never fully recovered. Yeah. And she says, signing up for something like this, it's not something you do if your life is in perfect harmony. We're yeah. all damaged goods here. So I think the idea is that, you know, there, there, there is no, there is no lifeline and all of these people are, are in here seeking some sort of truth about their own self-destructive tendencies and the self-destruction is the fuel toward, to the fire. There isn't, they're not, they're not going to suddenly go into therapy and be okay. Yeah. <laughs> because that's not, that's not something that the movie tells us is going to help them. That is, you know, we're not expecting that equipment to work, which I think is very bold and kind of upset me, honestly. Absolutely. About this movie. You and I have talked about this before uh, the podcast started about this idea that by uh, kind of rejecting the idea that any of this is fixable in a human way, like it makes these characters less relatable because the rest of us have to just, the rest of us have to solve our own problems. Like it's very understandable, I think, for most people that um, there, there's this couple, they're not really well suited for each other, the husband travels a lot, the wife messes around with another dude while he's gone he comes back foreseeably presumably more like better suited for her right they work in the same field whatever um sure and then he comes home and rather than being able to face the issues in his marriage that he realizes are real he decides he's going to run for it from it and do something um stupid Right. Like try do something self-destructive and that harms him as opposed to like talking about his feels, which I think is very relatable. However, sure. most people don't go on a suicide mission to like find to, to, to like find the answers to a um, 
iridescent cancerous blob. And then most most people on the other side of that equation don't chase in after them to also find those answers. It's it's too much. Like, yeah. it's too cut off from, like, human experience to, I think, say anything that is truly helpful about the human condition without doing quite a bit of extrapolation and backflips, which is exhausting. Yeah, which uh, which I think we uh, in our conversations up to recording this have been doing a lot of mental gymnastics to try to make um, some of this work. Again, I think it's a, like we're we are in the shimmer. This is a beautiful sequence uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, like shimmer looks gorgeous. Yeah, shimmer, yeah. shimmer is like where you would go on an Instagram vacation. Like it's beautiful. Yeah. It's very beautiful. Well, and well, so so here we are. They they come up on the first structure. There's one plant that has multiple different kinds of flowers coming off of it and so they're talking about how if it were human you'd be calling it pathology it's this um continuous uh mutation um this corruption and um but this corruption that's also yielding beauty so you're seeing like uh the duality of creation and uh destruction and we get our first like horror movie jump scare of uh tessa thompson's Josie Raddick, yeah, almost being killed by Killer Croc. Um, mm. <laughs> oh, man. That also, right? So then they kill the Killer Croc. Josie uh-huh. escapes. Mm-hmm. They peel open the Killer Croc's mouth. And you know you know me. I love a big animal movie. I eat them up with a spoon. <laughs> so when the yeah, Croc totally. showed up, when the Croc showed up, I was, like, pumping my fists. I was like, yes, 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 Croc. And then mm. to, like, really get to look at it, it's great. It's like this big albino crocodile. And... They open up its mouth, and as, like, the mouth is opening, Cassie practically yells, Sharks have teeth like that! (laughs) It's ridiculous! It's so ridiculous! (laughs) They think that the flowers being weird and, like, and beyond biological understanding, plus this crocodile that has, like, rows and rows of teeth the way a shark would... Although I would say more like um, a sandworm from Star Trek, Star Wars, because they go like all the way down its throat. And yeah, sharks don't have that. They just Absolutely. Have of teeth, yeah, like, no, right it very edge. much looked like a sandworm. I thought the exact same thing, like because like those concentric circles of teeth, like at the th- back of the throat. The base yeah, of the yeah, throat. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey guys, it's a sci-fi podcast, so uh, yeah. You know, Which get, like get why why Cass had to be like sharks? I don't I don't know. I mean I think. <laughs> It almost, it almost, it made me mad because I love a big shark movie and I love a big croc movie. And I'm like, look, if you're going to combine the two right now, do a better job. Give me something to look at. More than just some extra teeth. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I mean, I was fine with just a big For crocodile. Like, I, we don't like, need yeah, the shark. Absolutely. But like, if we're going to make a shark, like, why not more shark like? Yeah. The next stop that they go to is Fort Amaya, which is. The former headquarters of the Southern Reach, which is the name of this governmental organization that we haven't named yet because it doesn't matter, guys. It really doesn't. (laughs) Because when they give you specificity, it doesn't matter. And when they don't give you specificity, it makes you want to tear your hair out because you're trying to connect things and make make sense of it. Yes. Yeah. They decide to build a a base in the mess hall of this former fort. Uh, Their beds and bags. People were there. um, And... 
<clears throat> Lena gets distracted by seeing a schedule that has Kane's name and having to confront the fact that she has not told anyone that she is with other than the psychologist who already knows that um, her husband was on a previous mission. Everyone thinks that she's just here, like a biologist who, um, whose husband was killed in action is the lie that she is told. And it's right here that Ventrist, our psychologist, finds a tape that says, for those who follow, and this is another really fun, creepy moment for me. I think this scene works really well for I, me. This scene is awesome. Yes. Because we're, we're pulling on this, like, trope of, of horror movies with, like, found footage. Like, so, you know, we put the, the tape in the camera, but it's, like, found footage within an existing horror narrative. You see Kane, and he's sitting there, and he's, like, kissing this guy's forehead, and everyone's, like, around him, and everyone's, like, being, like, really kind to him. He's, like, are you ready? Like, are you good? And he's, like, you know, like, slaps his, like, you know, uh, cheek, you know, uh, lovingly, and then literally pulls out a knife and starts carving this guy's chest cavity open in a way that is hard to watch and like the guy at one point is like stop and he kind of pauses and he's like we got this and like they're like comforting this guy like the other man on his side is like hugging his head like it's a very tender moment while still being like horrifying as he finishes cutting up this cavity and we see that what is supposed to be intestine is moving like like a like a worm like a like a snake like creature and like he literally puts his hand underneath it and it's like roiling over his hand and and it's just it's it's just a lot like so this is when um this is when Anya starts to kind of fucking lose it um so she's a former medic and she's like turn it off I don't need to see that obviously they went insane they started cutting each other open which fair like that's not like an unfair assessment but like She's like, that was a trick of the lights. There was nothing, you know, like, that was a trick of the light. That isn't real. Like, whatever was happening in those intestines, like, you'll see all sorts of weird shit. Like, you know, I saw crazy shit in Chicago. Like, that wasn't real, you know? Um, and Lena is sobbing on the floor because she's trying to be, she's faced with, like, what horrors, you know, did this this human that I presumably love in some way uh, live through? And and suddenly Ventress calls from the other room because she's she's found the room where that footage was taken, and this human body has become disemboweled and turned into like a place of insulation art with um, spores and this mold and this flowering structure that has grown out of inside of his intestines and created like this tableau of destruction and death while still being life because it's alive it's so freaking cool yeah this scene apparently took place in the deep end of an empty swimming pool so you have this like sharp wall and this kind of slanted floor with water like like you know maybe like three inches of water at the bottom yeah yeah and what what i think is happening is the guy's legs and like pants are and butt are on the floor yeah of this pool and then the intestines, like the snaky creature that's crawling around in him, has just exploded outwards and has pushed his entire upper body and yeah. head and like arms and everything, like everything above the hips, up the wall. And so it's like maybe six feet in the air. And kind yeah, of the face has, out. has separated from the skull, like um, through this growth of this organism. So everybody's freaked out by everyone. I mean, uh, Josie, Raddick, and. Uh, and Anya, so everyone decides to sleep up in the crow's nest uh, as far away as they possibly can from this without, like, trying to camp somewhere else because they don't have time to move. And that's when we get a flashback. We see the morning that he left, and he looks, he already has that look of, like, I need to take a shit. Um, as he, like, sits on the edge of the bed, and it's like, I do love, I'm sorry, I'll do your voice. I do <laughs> love you. 
Lena. And it's like with those pauses, these pregnant oh. pauses, you know, this moment, this flashback moment, we're starting to see the underbelly of this. We're starting to see the complications of their relationship is not just being a perfect thing that she's holding on to or that she's not necessarily here just to save this guy who like, which it's a good time for us to get those clues because is there really a guy left to save? Like, that's a lot to live through. Like, well, and you it, know. it starts to make you be like, well, why is she actually here? She's obviously feeling guilt about her affair. She's, like, kind of trying to figure out if he yeah. said anything to uh, Dr. Psychologist. About it. Yeah. Yeah, if that's why, if she drove him to this fate. Right. Um, right. Which we, we do some... get a definitive answer to that later. But. Yeah. And the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> because this movie's lazy as fuck. Yeah. Like, because the movie's like, I mean, cool. I mean, I mean. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So following up this conversation about self-destruction between uh, Ventress and Lena, uh, there's a noise. And Cass hears it and gets out of bed and comes down. And she's standing next to uh, next to the, the lookout station. And... Uh, Lena's looking through the binoculars and realizes that like something has come through the fence and has been able to tear it open. So, um, so then like they're looking around trying to figure out where it is. And suddenly this giant bear thing just like takes like bites cats, like by the shoulder and then drags her away. And the next second, um, Josie and Anya have woken up and are down there. And, um, Lena says, she went that way something took her she was beside me and the three of them run after it and they hear because they they can hear Cass screaming help me um and then it is very clear that the cries have ceased mm-hmm. and that it's too late Cass is did Cass is did and so we're up uh and this is one of my favorite moments of dialogue personally um we're up in the in the crow's nest it is morning and um Ventress is like, I'm going. And Josie is like, it's almost like she doesn't even know that she's alive. Um, and Josie's like, I think we need to go back. And Anya is defending Josie's stance and saying, she's right. I don't know how much more right she needs to be. Like, <laughs> and it's that moment where she's like, well, she's like, she's like it's bear. too dangerous for us to be here. And Ventress is like, what do you mean? And she's like, I don't know. What do you mean? What do I mean? She's right. I don't know how much more right she has to be. I love that part. Yeah, no. Actually, this whole scene is good. And then, like, Ventress is like, Ventress is basically just like, I'm a bad bitch and I'm going to that lighthouse no matter what because I'm never coming out of here alive anyway. Goodbye, folks. And then. And then Anya, like, looks at Lena and is like, you could have said something. And Lena's like, I wasn't aware that there were sides. I was like, girl. Yeah, right. No. In a life and death scenario, you can't just sit on the sideline and be like, I wasn't aware that there were sides. Yeah, Fuck no. off, Lena. That's not like, true. Lena, go yeah. soak your head. Yeah, and the scene just comes to uh, a boiling point uh, when um, Lena's like, I do think we should leave, but I don't think we should turn back. I think we need to go to the coast, just like Cass said, and then we can just follow the coast, like uh, to uh, the the border. And and like basically, Anya asks her if she's just saying that, or if she means it. And Anya, like, I've just seen Gina Rodriguez does an amazing job of having like the emotions cross her face of like going from being like, no, we can't, to like just like fear and like a need to trust her and a need for them to be allies and a need to just like be like, 
okay, like I can, if I can put my faith in someone else, it doesn't matter that I don't have the answers, you know, like a need for like someone to know what's going on a need to not just be the strongest person in the room, you know? I would completely agree with that. And I do, she does a great job with it. And you know that she knows that it's wrong, but she still does it because she like needs it because of community, because she knows she can't make it back without this person because Lena is one of, is the military person in their group. And the only person who knows how to shoot, which, yep. We, so we just sent, basically, basically all these scientists were just sent in to die, basically. Yes. The person yes. the person at the end who's like, I will go too, and Van Trost was like, I mean, sure, we got an extra pair of army boots, whatever. Like, <laughs> what? what? the only person who's at all qualified to be here. Well, at all qualified to, like, kill stuff, yeah, to protect yep. them. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, also, in case you would, at least you're like, well, come on, Mary, they have semi-automatic weapons. How hard could it be? We've already watched them fail to kill a crocodile and Lena will be the only one who can kill a crocodile. Yeah. And Lena, like, looked like, like, you could tell, like, she was, like, tapping into some sort of, like, second mind or something, you know? Like, she looked looked crazed in, like, a good way. In a way that you want someone who's handling a gun and has your back, like, when you're in a killer croc scenario to look, you know? So then uh, our our team is reunited again and they're... uh, they're going through these towns and these homes and they're seeing these uh, plants that uh, have grown to look like to look more like human bodies than than they do. Um, than they do uh, trees. Josie is like, if if you sequence these genes, you would get Hox DNA and Hox. The Hox genes are it's it's what has the plan for the body that an arm attaches to a shoulder, that a shoulder is a part of the torso yeah. that um. It's what tells you know. our blastula is which which is our butt and which is our mouth. So Josie um, sort of figures out what the shimmer is doing when she's like upstanding among what I've called affectionately called the flower people. <laughs> I like that. So Josie's standing among the flower people and she says, "But I look up. I see the sun. I see the sky. The light waves aren't blocked. They're refracted." And she's noticing that. You know, you've seen this throughout, but anytime light is, like, shining through trees or, like, between bodies or whatever when you're moving around in the shimmer, they're little, like, prismatic rainbows of light. And that's what she's talking about. And then she um, reaches for her, uh, like, radios and, like, the other um, items that she was messing around with early in the film and saying, like, they don't work. Um, she says it's the same with the radio and she turns them on and you can hear the static and she says it's the same with the radios the signals aren't gone they're still they're um, they're split they're scrambled yeah so she says the shimmer is a prism it refracts everything light waves fields DNA Um, and she's that's why she thinks that these these flowers these flowers are not only kind of like cut into like a topiary of a man but they actually are a man but they are of flowers which doesn't super make sense i will give you but okay but that is what this is what the movie is asking us to believe so we will and that's fine yeah the the refraction has somehow uh affected everything in this dome to like mutate everything to be like everything else that refraction is the same thing as splicing almost that mute that mutations are a form of refraction which strange but okay um and i think i think we go past strange and say not scientifically valid but okay it's fine. It's fine. It's it's beautiful and 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 the light is 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 prismatic and so it's fine. Right, I'm right, right. I'm not trying to be an to asshole. To me, this introduces kind of a concept of fragility of uniqueness. Um, that 
as the items are reflected, they're also refracted and fundamentally changed. So you have kind of like this this dichotomy where in this world everything is like a mirror. Everything is it, everything can be copied, and every and you kind of get the sense for early on with um, uh, Lena talking about how cells aging is a defect. You understand that like things could split and continue and move on and then, you know, it, kind of forever and nothing is unique. Like any DNA can yeah. be can be copied over again and again and again. But also you know that the shimmer has to fundamentally change anything that it reflect it refracts. So it's sort of this weird push pull that I think is sort of a sub theme that goes on like is the is the change that happens through refraction superficial or is it fundamental to the being that is being refracted so then they walk into this house it looks very much like her house um and so you get this amazing parallel shot where she sits at the table like trying to figure out like you know the science of it and it is paralleled by that shot of like Kane when he first got home and so we see that and then we get a flashback and we see her having an affair with a dude so we looked we looked through the glass of water at their joined uh-huh. hands and we found out that it was just a load of shit because she uh-huh. is having an affair so we're finding out that she's cheating and she's like you know wants to end it and He's like, you don't hate me, you hate yourself. And she's like, no, I hate you too. <laughs> I, I did like, like I did like that line. <laughs> because like, <laughs> yeah. Because I also um, think it's true. Like, I like the lines. It's 100% true. It's the like, little lines. Like, it's a lot of times, so I feel like people are like, you don't actually hate me. It's like, no, I mean, I can hate both. I mean, I mean, I'm capable of hating multiple things at once. Like, it doesn't have to be <laughs> yeah. one or the other. No, it's like those little moments where they're sort of like lampshading common tropes. Like, oh, the spectrometron that we brought in here isn't working. And, that, and, and like, Van Truss is like, yeah, dummy, of course it doesn't. Like, I like yeah. that moment, and I also or, like this or moment. Or being like, yeah, yeah. Being or, like... And going back to, like, Anya being like, I don't know how much more right she has to be. Like, mm-hmm. we're in the horror movie. This is the time you leave. Like, I don't... Yep. What more do we need to have happen for this to not be a good idea to be here? But um, it's maddening because in those moments, you know that the movie is capable of being Doing better. something much stronger yes. than what it's doing. Yes. I mean, lazy. Well, so so then this flashback is interrupted and punctuated, as as they all are, by, like, something that makes it thematic really relevant, which is Anya standing over her saying, you lying bitch, and then hitting her over the head uh, with a machine gun. Uh, and then c- wakes up all tied up and... This is a masterclass of uh, just Anya being someone who's like losing her fucking mind and knows she's losing her mind, but like cannot cope with it. And she like has uh, Lena's locket. When she looks in the locket, there's a picture of Kane in there, and she knows that that's Kane because she recognizes him from the video where he was cutting open a someone's stomach. You know, she asked uh, Josie, "Did you know?" too and Josie's like you know shape like also tied to a chair everyone's tied to a chair everyone's tied to a chair it's a horrifying moment the only light is like from a lampshade this is like the crazy movie and moment in a horror movie when you're about to get like cut get cut open by like a serial killer you know so another trope is getting pulled out and played with in front of our eyes I didn't I didn't write down the dialogue so this is me paraphrasing there are two theories either um either the the team went crazy and they killed each other or uh where they were killed by outside forces. So far, uh, we lost Cass. We had a crocodile. You know, we had this bear. It seems like this place is killing. It's killing us. 
But then also we have them uh, tied to, you know, that guy tied up and being cut open. And and, uh, and here you all are tied up to a chair. So it could be that I'm going crazy and killing you. However, if I were to untie you, then then you all would tie me up and you would cut me open. And, and, and if you cut me open, would my hand move? Would my insides move the way that my hands and my fingers are moving? Because they're moving. And uh, but the thing is, I'm not the one tied up. You are. Well, the thing is, we don't know about Cass dying because we only have your word to say from it. We didn't see her disappear. And we've learned now, Lena, is that you're a liar. Lena, you're a liar, Lena. <laughs> Lena, you're a liar. And it's just like this amazing delivery because she says it kind of like that. Lena is a liar. And then like you hear uh, Cass's voice screaming, help me. And suddenly um, Anya, who does believe in a community, who like had a real bond, with both Josie and Anya, like before Lena ever came around, like drops everything and like like grabs your gun and is like, I'm gonna go help you. And like, like oh my God, she's alive. And we, the audience, know she is not. We are so positively aware there, that is not what is happening right now. And, and get clearly attacked. And at this point, Lena's been able to pull off her mask and she turns to Josie and tells her not to react. And then we hear this voice, we still hear the cries, the like, help me, friend Cass's voice. And then this giant bear stalks in with half a skull for a face. And I'm not saying the character design of the bear is what works. I'm saying that the sound editing for this is incredible because the sound editor took this, like, this quote, this, like, one, like, sound clip of, like, help me, guys, help me, or whatever. And as the bear opens its mouth, you hear, like, along with the breathy um, exhale of breath, like, the wheeze of that line coming through, and then it will pause... The, the sound recording until like the bear like breathes out again and then you hear it again. And so it's just like this slight distortion of this audio clip coming through this physicality of this, of this bear. And it is truly to me a terrifying moment. No, it works. Uh, it's not Mr. Ed. Like it works. It makes sense. No. Yeah. And, uh, and then suddenly like when it looks like this bear is about to uh, kill uh, Josie, like knocks her over Anya comes in, mauled the crap out of already, uh, but with a gun and starts firing on the bear um, fairly successfully. Uh, and then the bear comes at her and we see her get like just her jaw like ripped off of her face. It is a brutal, bloody uh, end to my girl Anya. I'm sorry she was turning into a crazy bitch, but I still feel the most tied to her because I think her reaction is actually pretty sane to an insane scenario. And uh, Josie happens to have gotten out of her uh, out of her bondage and saves uh, Lena as the bear's coming at her and uh, shoots in the head like a million times, like gets up at point blank range. It doesn't matter that she doesn't have good experience and shoots the crap out of it. And it's just decaying nightmarish bear. And it's just, and the moon is glowing um, outside. The plants are glowing. Um, the moon. After that scene. Yeah, we get this great shot of like the outside and the moon. And like the plants are glowing like after this horrific scene before we go back Never inside. Never forget. Never forget. Never forget the moon. That the moon is out there. Yes. And that is when, um, and this is when Ventress is basically like, I'm going out there. And everyone's like, we're just almost killed. And she's like, I don't care. I'm disintegrating. Like, it's like the onset of dementia. I need to get out of here. I want to be the one that ends it. I want to be the same person who came on this journey. I want the person who came on this journey to be the one who ends So that was a lot. I just recapped for us. I just, that was for me, like, a that visual 
God, everything. Gina Rodriguez, like, there are lots of this movie that I think suck. Gina Rodriguez acting uh, in not the one scene. Of them. Not one of them. Not, not one, one of them at all, all. Yeah, so. So then, so Ventress takes off, and then we, it's daytime, and mm-hmm. we get a scene where um, Josie is talking to Lena, and she really breaks down in, like, very painful details what exactly what she thinks is going on with that bear um, let, us, let us restate exactly what we all just saw but instead of like recapping it like that was creepy like let's talk about like the actual physicality of like why the bear had right and she's basically like oh it looks like in the final moments of death her psychol her psychosis like attached itself to this bear and now this bear is partially cassie but only cassie right before she died which we got like, yeah. I, it sounds... I, I think you got that without it being explained. We, we got it. Also, it sounds way stupider. Like, when she explains it, I'm like, oh, that's actually dumb. <laughs> like, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, s- when like, you over-explain something like that, it doesn't work. Like, it I'm doesn't not work. be generic, but show, don't tell. Well, like, and also, like, if you're having a refracted DNA, like, if everything is, like, a mutant and everything is refracted and everything is DNA... Your DNA at the moment of death is not terrified. <laughs> like yeah, it doesn't. Right? It doesn't make sense. So we have this conversation between um, where Josie breaks down exactly what she thinks was going on with that bear, and is basically kind of just reflecting on death and like and in yeah. in horror in death, which is okay. Which that part's okay. And sh- you start to notice that like her arms are starting to like have little like leaves poking out of them. Yeah. And yeah, it's a it's a it's a cool sequence cuz it and... starts off with just like what looks like some debris you could brush away. So she stands up and she says uh, about the shimmer. Uh Ventress wants to face it and Tulina, you want to fight it, but I don't think I want either of those things. And she just kind of like walks off while her arm is becoming increasingly more poison ivy-ish. Yeah, so we keep on seeing these cuts of her, like, um, as, like, so, like, Lena will lose her behind, like, a tree or something, or a clothesline, or, and each time we see her, like, the, the, the plants have become, like, um, like, the, the buds all over her become, like, more plentiful and more blossoming until she turns a corner, and by the time Lena catches up, she just sees a field of these, uh, what Mary's called, flower people, and it's not even sure which one is hers. The point is... She's just one of them. And you start to wonder if maybe those were all people too. Um, well, I, I think they, I think they were. I think that, I think we're, yeah, I think we are I think to, we're believe, meant that they to are. believe that they were. I think that it makes sense. So she kind of like peacefully is submitting to whatever changes the shimmer wants to impress upon her, whatever end the shimmer sees fit to her self-destructive tendencies. And it turns out that the uh, shimmer is um, super, super poetic because we have this person who has consistently kind of looked inside themselves by like making little nicks on their arms, trying to figure out why she hurts or why she's sad or why the world doesn't make sense to her. And the shimmer is saying, here you go, girl. We filled that spotty space that you always wanted to see the inside of with beauty, with these flowers. So, yeah. and a thriving thing, which I think is, is, a, is a, a moment of poignancy in this movie. Absolutely. That is an image that, um, so I saw this movie back in uh, March, and that is a moment that stayed with me since the initial viewing. Um, and then we go to the titular screen, The Lighthouse. And this is when I feel like 
anything that's been working about this movie. And up until now, you've heard me speak pretty passionately about things that I thought were strong uh, and beautiful and interesting. Um, you it's held not out hope. It. You thought that what was going to happen in the lighthouse was going to was going to make you feel good about the rest yeah. of this movie and tie up all the loose ends. I was feeling pretty crabby at this point. This is this last act is where I feel like it loses its thread. So, guys, it gets a little rough here, but hang on. We're now going to the lighthouse. Going to the lighthouse. In the lighthouse, um, Lena comes in. She sees that there is a skeleton on the floor, like a skeletal like body on the floor, and then a um, camera on a tripod pointed at it. She watches the video, and Kane is like lay is like kind of like laying against a wall, and he's he's you think he's talking to the camera, but what he's actually talking to is a doppelganger of himself who comes into the frame after Kane has said. Something along the lines of, I don't know who you are, but, like, if you get out of here, find Lena. And then he lights himself on fire with a phosphorus grenade and dies. And so now you realize that Kane's, the the person we think is Kane is actually, like, a clone of Kane. And that's why he doesn't remember stuff and potentially why, you know, when he saw her face, she became a believer and that's his moment of birth. Anyway, <laughs> so that happens. Then there's this giant hole in the ground of this otherwise completely white, austere lighthouse building that is, like, full of, like, weird black, snaky, veiny lines, like, ve- like vines coming out of it. And Lena crawls right into that sucker. No, no question. Because that's the normal thing to do. Yep. Totes. Yep. And in it, she sees sort of this, it's it's reminiscent of Alien and Giger, but, like, it's sort of this, like, weirdly, like, mechanical yet biological uh, antechamber. And in it, you see Ventross sitting away from her, so, like, Lena's looking at her back, and we see that Ventross doesn't have any eyeballs, which personally was my least, like, that is what scared me the most. I hated, like, I was like, oh, it was terrible. And yeah. Ventros, um, and then she delivers some dialogue, and basically she becomes this giant, iridescent, psychotropic, imploding cancer cell. Yeah. And out of that comes what you and I call the oil slick monster, which mm-hmm. is sort of like, um, I think you described it as um, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, like the big, tall aliens from that. Like, it's like this big, gangly thing. Um, but it's mm-hmm. like... It looks like an oil slick, like it has kind of like the greens and purple like iridescence, and it just doesn't look that good, to be honest with you. No, it's like a blobby human. It's like it, it, they they put someone clearly in one of those like green um, suits, uh, yes. and like instead of like filling in any details, they're just like, well, let's just make it look like it has a bunch of like you know organic bandaging almost uh where features would be and it all yeah the oil slick monster anyway oil slick monster you know that it is a person absolutely absolutely it's a woman it's actually a woman she's a japanese ballerina um in and she appears she's an extra because i guess she didn't have enough to do i don't understand that but whatever kind of cool she's an extra in the scene where uh lena is explaining cancer cells to her class so she's like one of her students i thought that was weird that is incredibly weird all right i know anyway so um she so right so it is this person and, and the fact that she's a ballerina becomes important later when this oil slick monster crawls out of this hole with lena and then starts to immediately mimic her motions and they kind of have this like weird interpretive dance where like Lena will like 
like jiggle her foot and then the monster jiggles its foot at the exact same time and you kind of you see you see it start to take on even the physical form of her so you're like oh Zoyle's like monster is like like a base copy of humans and then like it gets um it gets some of their dna and then it copies them over so like we're seeing lena refracted in this person okay and this like creature okay and lena what we believe happens is lena grabs one of the um extra uh phosphorus grenades that are next to um the og kane's body and she hands it to her doppelganger with the pin pulled out, and then she gets the hell out of there while this doppelganger catches on fire and crawls back into its hole and sets that whole cavern on fire. And we see Lena look back at the lighthouse as it completely like gets engulfed in flames. And then all of the shimmer-esque objects around it like there are these big crystalline like crystal tree things catch on fire and you just see that everything that all the complexity that and and mutations on the area around it that the shimmer has impacted the landscape with are all catching on fire all the shimmer is the next going thing we away. see really is we go back we go forward in time but now it is present time where she's finishing up with where uh, lena is finishing up with lomax and she goes to see her husband. She goes to see Kane. She says, you aren't Kane. And he says, I don't think so. And then he says, are you Lena? And she gasps. And then they hug. And then we see their glowing alien eyes. Which they don't see in each other, too. Which I think is weird. But that's okay. I feel like we're supposed to believe that they sense it. But, like, again, this movie is not very clear. <laughs> No. I don't know if I've made that point enough, but <clears throat> so we've anyway. rushed. We've rushed through the ends. Um, I do think that uh, it's really disappointing to me that the oil slick monster isn't cooler looking. The, that scene is scary, and I think it's only scary because of the music. The music does so much. Like that's when you get like that, like that total antithesis of the folky, you know, resonant like uh, you know uh, music from the beginning to this very like like you know alien-esque uh monstrous electronic and like distorted sound so i think that the things we want to talk about mostly at the end here are that the interpretations of the end the interpretation of the end so you think that the clone lena is the lena at the end and i yeah. think that it's the og lena at the end who should go yeah. first i'm gonna okay. let you go because i think you're i think I think that we are supposed to logically be able to say that you are correct. I am going because like I've seen this movie now twice and I have literally read the book about it just so that I could figure out what the fuck is going on. I'm still dissatisfied. So please, Mary, please, please, please. Okay. Please, please explain why you think that, um, what you think the ending means. So I think that it's explicitly the original Lena at the end. I don't think it's her clone. I think she successfully hands that clone a grenade and it blows up the shimmer. Or sets on fire all the shimmer. I think that we have to accept that the Kane, quote unquote, who came home is the clone. He doesn't remember stuff. He admits that he isn't sure who he is. So I believe that everything we see recorded in that camera happened. And yep. that, and I think we're meant to believe that Kane, when, um, 
faced with the fact that he was ultimately like when in went into the shimmer on the suicide mission when he was faced with this kind of this horror of realizing how manufa- manufacturable he actually fundamentally is in this world he he kind of comes unglued he tells this clone like he's i, I don't think he sees much difference between the clone and himself no, I so think he, he he believes that they he's satisfied in with believing that they are the same. Um yes. which is why he is so willing to uh let go. He even says something like, um, I thought that you know, I was man. I thought my name was Kane. Um my right. skin my flesh moves like liquid, my mind is cut loose. Um when you leave here, you know, go find Lena because yeah. he doesn't want her to be alone and he has become satisfied with this clone existing and being able to survive when he is unable to and i think it's sort of it kind of calls back to this concept of like do you fund does does the refraction here fundamentally change who you are or is it largely superficial are he and this clone just similar looking flowers sprouting off the same vine or are they wildly different flowers sprouting off the same vine like coming from the same genetic source we don't really know. But he seems to believe that they are similar flowers, that his uniqueness is ultimately superficial in this environment. Fine. Yeah. So with that in mind, I think that we have to assume that what we see in the lighthouse is real. There are no tricks or switcheroos. We aren't seeing we aren't seeing like a perception of what happens. We're seeing we're seeing fact. That's what the camera and the situation with Kane tells me. And we explicitly see Lena um, kill her clone and leave. So we explicitly see the the her clone self start to burn, and it kind of turns back into the oil slick monster, and then it kind of has the oil slick monster's form as it goes down, and everything catches on fire. Okay, but we already know that Lena, OG Lena, no matter what, is fundamentally changed because when she's back at the house. And she draws her own blood and she's looking at under a microscope. She sees that the shimmer is inside of her blood. Yeah, totally. Right. So no matter what, she has that inside of her. And she's not, if she, even if she does leave, she's not going to be the same genetic person that she was when she came in. Because the stuff is inside her DNA. Yeah. So... I did, I did a couple, a bunch of reading on this because it really bugged me that the shimmer burned up. I was like, this does not make any sense to me. I don't, I don't get it. Um, because we, we, we kind of keep coming back. We keep coming back to this idea that the shimmer doesn't really want anything. And it's not meaning to like, to, to like annihilate anybody on earth. Titular line. Um <laughs> But we do talk about it, it wanting to change it and the refraction that it goes through. So my, so many smart people on the internet, and I agree with them, and I'm putting this forth as as the truth, quote unquote, such as it, as it can be in this refracted, non-specific world we're living in, is that, um, you know, it is a that Ventras told Lena early on that it's an entirely human phenomenon to seek an intention intentionally or not self-destruction. And that's like the central theme of this story is you have these women going into a very dangerous space, all with self-destructive tendencies. And 
there that our bodies are are constantly driving towards annihilation on a biological level our cells are dying there are faults in our genes which make us grow old when lena faces that weird giant cancerous cell that was once ventros and it sucks a piece of her blood into it and then makes spits out the oil monster i think that we are to believe that um it takes on not only do not only does it copy lena it also takes on that human tendency of self-destruction that's coded into her cells yeah and i read something that said this and i and i think that it's a strong argument so yeah but continue yeah and when and when it's faced with a a small but significant damaging force basically her setting this oil slick monster on fire right like the shimmer is huge like that is that is a tiny little piece of like collateral damage but just as just as you know in the broad spectrum of life like trauma a moment of trauma must be might be small we decide we need to um self-harm and like implode around that little piece of trauma so there's this little piece of trauma and it causes the entire shimmer to catch on fire and effectively commit suicide. Okay. We see Kane and Lena coming together and, and, and we believe starting over romantically, right? So just as the shimmer has sucked in Lena's self-destruction, Lena has sucked in the shimmer's need to create and change. So she is able to create something new, this new romantic possibility, with a person who is literally like a factory default refresh of her husband. So I think that's what we're supposed to believe is happening. And and, yeah. and maybe and maybe even it's like it doesn't really matter because you have these two people who have fundamentally gone through something that is that changes them. And now they are back and that is going to allow them to rekindle their romance, which is a thing that I do not believe is true. But yeah. that's okay. I don't believe that two people... <laughs> Like, it, it, there's just not enough norm, like, there's not enough human stuff there for me to m believe that that can be something that is true and good and helpful to humankind. Yep. Final yep. thought. Maybe, maybe I think what this movie is positing is that self-destruction is, like, a step or a piece or a fundamental, like, cornerstone of something that we need to change, that this is in ourselves so that we can come about and become different people or, like, change something fundamentally about ourselves, that our self-destruction is, like, something that we can use to bring about true change. And the piece of dialogue that I think um, supports that is when Dr. Ventress says about the shimmer, it's destroying everything, and Lena says, it's not destroying it's making something new. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Why, that's why I think, it, I, and so if you have it be the clone, I think that that argument kind of implodes on itself, that you don't have, that the, that the showing an original Lena coming back and starting over with a clone husband is stronger for that particular argument than having a clone Lena come back and start over with her clone husband or start at all with a clone yeah. husband. Totally. I l listen. I I don't think that you're wrong. I just and we read Mary found uh some notes on the original script where like 
it was intentionally, it was supposed to be like, you are not sure whether it is her or her clone. And it's like, so like literally at the very least, the original intent was to not choose a side from a filmmaker's standpoint, which pisses me off. Your points are all well taken. I, however, feel like um, there's enough ambiguity and like there's a scene when she is confronted with the oil slick monster um, wherein like she kind of passes out and then there's like the lights come on. So there is very much moments where they allow for a potential switchover. Um, you're also not supposed to totally think that like she's without the ability of seeing hallucinations. Um, also, the oil slick monster or as I am positing, uh, the actual OG Lena, who just looks like a monster to us in that moment, immediately goes over to um, her husband uh, when when she's like in flames and touches him and then touches the wall of the lighthouse and then goes back into like the little cavern and lets it all burn. And also we've been told that nobody makes it back from here. Uh, so for me, like it, it seems satisfying poetically that that actually Lena gets what she wants, which is to fight the thing. And that um, her clone is the thing that comes back. And at the end when she's like, oh, I can't explain it. Oh, I mean, it doesn't want anything. I don't even know if he even knew I was there. Like that all just feels also patently false. And I, actually heard, bit... I actually heard there was no monster. Who, yeah, said, right? anything, who said anything it, about a monster? Like, while, while it makes the logic of the movie collapse in the way that storytelling works, I, I don't have faith that this movie is actually good enough at storytelling for me to not say that it hasn't already collapsed. Um, point even better taken that yeah she's not the same person so even when he asks like you know are you like are you lena um but he asks it kind of like a you're not either and it could go either way in that moment but i'm putting my hand in the sand my hand in the sand i'm drawing a line in the sand <laughs> hand in the sand hand in the sand hand in the, foot sand. On, hand in the sand foot on my heart i'm saying and i'm saying she went in there as someone who could not survive it just like kane couldn't and and they sent out proxies that were able to survive it an altered version of themselves that could survive in this kind of um toxic space that they could not end and i'm not saying it's a good end i'm saying though that like i i saw this movie twice and both times i'm like wait so wait like i know she has like the shimmer inside of her but like wait like so is she like what? And the second time, because I still felt a little bit that way, because I was still, like, frustrated by, like, the ambiguity, because I went and I read the book, guys, and you know what? It's so damn different that it did not answer these questions for me at all, because I was like, what's my problem? It's my problem with the source material. It's my problem with the adaptation. And the answer is, um, well, the, the adaptation, since the source material is barely... um it's barely referential. Like it's referential only in the very beginning premise. You don't hear about a shimmer. You do hear boundaries expanding. There's nothing about refraction. It's all very different in a way that I think is also stronger. I'm so, but I'm so relieved to hear there's nothing about refla- refraction. This doesn't there's nothing sense. about refraction because the book is very much also about the colonizing force of nature as a reaction to the destructive force of humanity on nature. Um, it's a very interesting book. I can't wait to talk to you guys about it, but. That's why I've saved talking about it as a work of adaptation until now, because the bottom line is I don't think it can inform my reading well enough for me to say that, like, uh, it was worth even talking about much in this uh, other than to maybe fill in the gaps of, like, why some things might have been choices that the filmmaker made. But um, nope, I think that uh, I think that our OG Lena 
uh, eventually got what you wanted, which was to fight the thing and burn the thing down and uh, and to make penance through fire uh, for whatever guilt she felt towards Cain and to burn with him and to send out her proxy. Um, to complete the romance with another proxy that she could not complete as an original. Yep. Well, I think that we have we have annihilated this as much as we're going to. Mary, what are we going to talk about next week? Well, next week, uh, we're going to be discussing another little film done by Alex Garland, his directorial debut, uh, Ex Machina, which came out in 2015. Huzzah! You know, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see this because everyone says it's great. It's much better than Annihilation, I will say yeah, that. We did a little ragging on Annihilation, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we're going to have a surprise guest and... Mm-hmm. I've never seen this movie, so I'm really excited. I've actually been waiting to see it for the podcast. So I'm coming in with fresh eyes, guys. Just like, Just when- like you if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Wanna watch it. Just like when yeah. you and I are being social, regular people and we start talking about science fiction and we're like, save it for the pod. Save it for the pod. Got, got, got one eye on work and one eye on the pod. That's it. <laughs> Exactly. Well, thanks, guys, for listening uh, to Space Bras, our lovely listeners. Please head over to Apple Podcasts or the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, or leave us a review. And be sure to visit OutrageousMechanisms.com slash space dash bras to see our show notes and find other excellent podcasts. And now, join us as we raise our glasses and give the official toast of Space Bras. In these troubled times, we must remember that even though everyone might suck, We are awesome, and the galaxy is ours. Cheers! Cheers.